1: Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in this new series called The Exodus as the end of this series will end with Easter. Now, as the children of Israel were slaves to the Pharaoh, there are things in all of our lives that you may also be a slave to. Is it addiction? Is it fear? Or maybe it's abuse, modern-day slavery. Pastor Sean will share three key things to living free. And Living free means living out God's plan and purpose for your life. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. If you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do so today. There's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. Today's part two of the message called Breaking Free in this series called The Exodus. Pastor Sean is picking up on the story of Harriet Tubman. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: So In Philadelphia, she connected with a group of abolitionists and determined to become what they called a conductor on the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad was this, these different places along the way that would help escaping slaves and that were run by the abolitionists. And a conductor was like a guide. And so she wanted to become one of these guys. Well, over the next 10 years, she made 13 trips back, each time risking her own freedom, probably risking her life. 13 trips back, leading over 70 people out of slavery. Now, she claimed 70. Others have suggested more than 300 people owed their freedom to Harriet Tubman. Now, we all knew that part. That was the part I knew. What I didn't know is when the Civil War broke out in 1861, she became a spy and a scout for the Union Army, and it was because of her extensive knowledge of the geography and the workings of the slave underground so he's like wow this woman is unbelievable but she's not done in her later years we find out that she lived with family and friends on a piece of property that she owned wait, and you're like wait a minute okay she was a slave she came back began doing all these things all the how did she ever have time or the ability to buy a piece of property her job as a maid And somehow she was able to buy a piece of property, and they built a home, so family and friends lived there. She, a few years later, bought the piece of property next door, the adjacent property, and she built and founded the Harriet Tubman Home for Aged and Indigent Colored People. And years later, at 90 years old, when she was sick and needed care, she died of pneumonia at 90 there in that. And I'm just like, holy cow, this woman's whole entire life, who, who is she? What an amazing passion. It's like she could never stop. What you need to know, look in those eyes. You want to mess with her? Here's the deal. The movie depicted her as kind of hard and a little bit Radical. You know, not really understanding of people who, who weren't serious. And I'm like, when you think about what she went through, you think about what she had to fight to break free, and you think about what was at stake, it's like, yeah, I guess that would make you a little bit radical. I guess that could make you uh, the kind of person that, you know, more laid-back people might not really be able to relate to. Because she had this incredible drive. And see, here's the thing. She was radical because those who've been enslaved and truly set free understand what's at stake like maybe nobody else does. They know what enslavement is like. They know the crushing, soul-crushing heartbreak, and then they know what freedom is like. And it's like, I want to do whatever I can to see people set free. She could never have set those people free if she would have remained a slave, if she would have never gotten free first. See, that's why you'll never reach the world until you've truly been set free from the world. Quickly flip over to John 17. I want to look at just a, a couple things that Jesus said. This is a high priestly prayer. John 17, I'm going to begin reading it, verse 14. I think he gives us three keys in this passage to breaking free that we can look at. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 14. I've given them your word, talking about his followers. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then he says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. There's three very important points that Jesus is making. First thing is, we are not of this world. In fact, he says the world hated hated them. It's going to hate them just the way it hates me. And that's hard. That's hard for us to think about. Again, those of us who've grown up in America, we've had it kind of, well, maybe not. I don't think we understand in the same way that some others might. But Jesus made crystal clear, yeah, they're not of this world. The world hated me. The world's going to hate them. And he said the reason is he's not of this world. He says they're not of the world. Just as I'm not of this world. My kingdom, remember what he said? My kingdom is not of this world. It's something different. And then yet, in verse 18, we're told he sent us into the world almost like there's this we're being pulled out of the world and then sent back into the world three keys i think jesus alludes to that will help us in this journey of breaking free the first is to learn to see the world as it truly is jesus language seems a little harsh to us the world hated them oh, we don't we don't say hate we don't, yeah well jesus does because he's not playing and he understands what's at stake See, we need to learn to see the world as it truly is. We are not of this world. This world is not our home. You know, just like Moses and Aaron found out, don't expect the godless world to know your God, to know about your God, to care about your God. This is hard for us as Americans who honestly we grew up saying for God and country. It's like they're the same, they're synonymous. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm an American. Hello. I mean, a lot of people, that's kind of the way, well, you, yeah, I'm not some heathen. Didn't mean I'm a Christ follower. It meant, no, of course, I'm a me- member of such and such church down on the corner, and, you know, I stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I put my hand over my heart. I remove my hat for God and country. That statement would seem ridiculous to most people throughout church history. They're like, what? How, how do you do that? Because they understood the world as it is. They saw, wait a minute, this gospel that Jesus taught, this walk that Jesus walked, that he's called us to, the world doesn't get that or like that, and the world doesn't accept that. The world will hate you for that. If You walk and follow Jesus. They don't get that. They don't understand that. And, and I think sometimes because of our setting, we've kind of been able to enjoy our, a foot in both kind of camps. And it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Don't expect the disobedient world to make obedience easier. When you begin to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, God's called me to do something, and I'm going to really live my life for Christ, and I'm going to live like Jesus because he's filled me with the Spirit, he's forgiven me my sins, and I'm following Jesus. Don't expect the disobedient world to go, oh, well, let me hold the door for you. It doesn't work that way. And I think when we look at the world, don't ever underestimate the pride and rebellion in the human heart. I mean, if you're honest and you've ever had, come to the place of repentance as a follower of Jesus Christ, you know the pride and rebellion in your heart. Well, don't ever underestimate the pride and rebellion in the heart of the whole world. Ten plagues Pharaoh endured. What a, what a picture of the pride and the carnal nature. And, and Exodus 7.3, remember when it talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart? The question I have is, did God miraculously do something to Pharaoh's heart that changed him, that he wouldn't have ordinarily done? Or did he simply make a demand that activated the rebellion in Pharaoh's heart? When God said, I'll harden his heart, was he saying, I'm going to take action and change Pharaoh's heart so he will not respond? Or did God know, my command, my demands on Pharaoh will activate the rebellion in his heart and he will rise up and resist me. Cuz what's interesting is in Exodus 8:14 and 9:34 we're told that Pharaoh hardened his heart and even said that he sinned in that so he's responsible for it. It's interesting Romans chapter 1 talks about godless people and says God gave them over to their lust, gave them over to degrading passions. In other words they were already there but God let them follow the evil of their heart. Romans 7 gives a great kind of explanation. And this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it's important because it talks about how this, the laws of God, the commands of God, activate something inside the human heart. Paul speaks about it pretty plainly. In Romans 7, beginning at verse 7, he says, What shall we say then, that the law is sin? Because he's saying the law caused me to sin. Wait a minute. By no means. Yet if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have even known sin. Listen to this. Listen to verse 11. This is a really interesting idea. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. What I want to suggest you, Paul, is letting us know. What he's saying is the essence of sin is rebellion, and the law gave my sin nature something to rebel against. It revealed what was in my heart. I'm walking along being God in my own life, doing my own thing. I do what I want. I don't answer to anybody. That's the human heart. That's the heart that wants to rise up. And all of a sudden there's a boundary. It says, no, you can't go here. That's the law. <laughs> Nobody's going to tell me. And now I just rebelled against that law and the sin in me just rose up. That's what he's talking about. And I wonder if that's what happened with Pharaoh. If when it tells us God hardened at Pharaoh's heart, what we're talking about is not just God arbitrarily, and capriciously, just kind of saying, Pharaoh, you don't have any choice. Because he talks about it being sin, and that implies he did have a choice. But I know the rebellion of your heart, and this law of mine is going to raise that up, and it will harden your heart against you. Just some food for thought. And this is
1: where we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Breaking Free. The series is called The Exodus, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azaro. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: You'll never reach the world until you've truly been set free from the world. In this world, we've got to understand how anti-Christ this world and its systems are. So the first thing is learn to see the world as it truly is. Second thing is decide to leave that world by following a new king and living for a new kingdom. Decide to leave by following a new king and living for a new kingdom. You can't kind of leave. Okay, You can't sort of leave. Well, I sort of want to leave the world, the world systems. I sort of want to follow Jesus in his way, but I kind of want to do this too. So so I'll just kind of keep my my foot on both sides of the fence. It doesn't work that way. We have to decide as followers of Jesus Christ, it means I'm following a new king. I'm living for a new kingdom. Remember what Jesus said? I'm not of this world in John 17. He said, I'm not of this world. In another place, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. What that means is all of a sudden I'm born into a new family. I have people who now I share spiritual DNA with. I'm born into a new culture, new understandings, new values, new rules, and new norms. Because I'm now under a new king. I'm following a new king. I'm part of a new kingdom. Everything is different. And this is hard for us. See, follow Jesus. And that means no compromise. I don't get to follow Jesus and. No, I follow Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is the part where for those of us who are Americans in the American church right now, we are struggling because we have kind of convinced ourselves for many years that we didn't have to make this choice. And, and really, on an overt kind of fundamental level, we kind of didn't. We could be an American in good standing and accepted and, you know, successful and all those things and be a Christian. There was no negative ramifications of that. And we did have this God and country thing, and they kind of went together. Well, as, we, as that has changed, I mean, it's changed unbelievably. Think about the last 10 years, how much has changed. As that has changed, we're struggling. You know, there used to be political groups called the moral majority or the religious right. And, and through legislation, through getting politicians elected, we could kind of keep some of our values and some of our morals at the center of our nation. And you got to understand something. I am grateful to have been born in America. I am grateful for this nation. That being said, things are changing at an unbelievably rapid pace. Stop and think about our sexual ethics that the Bible teaches us about healthy family. You know, sexuality is so important because it's the gift God gave us to share in his creative nature. That's why it's called procreation. We get to share, we get to help be involved. A man and a woman together get to help be involved in bringing people into the world. What an amazing privilege. What a gift. And God designed that to be between a man and a woman. He designed it so that those children would be raised in a healthy environment with with healthy role models of of male Christ likeness and female Christ likeness so that boys or girls would know what they'd have a role model, they know what it's supposed to look like. And they would have every opportunity to make that choice to follow Jesus themselves. That was his design. What I just said is considered hate speech illegal, bigoted, and dangerous by a whole lot of people. Max Lucado was asked to speak at the National Cathedral. He's Max Lucado. Max Lucado, right? He was asked to speak at the natural, National Cathedral. Have you ever heard Max Lucado speak? Is there a nicer person on the planet? I mean, you know, maybe Jim Phillips, I don't know. But, but Jim can really be acidic sometimes. So no, not Jim. Mark's very nice. But Max, I think Max is right up there. He's gently, t- well, it turns out 10 years ago, in talking about biblical sexual ethics, he said some things that members of the LGBTQ plus community found offensive, And so they wanted him canceled. They didn't want him to speak at the National Cathedral. They wanted an apology. And it's like, what, Max Ocato? I mean, I've listened to that guy a lot. I've talked to him. I've met with Max. He is a neat, neat guy. He's so gentle. It's like, dude, if that guy's offensive, what chance do I have? Zero. Zero. (laughs) Thank you, Christina. (laughs) Say, no, you have zero chance. Maybe negative chance. No, th- I, I, I'm, I'm serious, but this is like, this has happened also so quickly. And it's like the world is changing and morphing so quickly under our feet, the church doesn't know how to deal with it, and we're, we're in many ways not responding well to it. But what's happening, and I, I have to tell you, I think this is going to be good for the kingdom of God. It's going to be good for the church. Now, the church is going to get smaller because a lot of people who are just in the church because good connections and, you know, I want to be a good person. They're not really into the whole following Jesus part, but, you know, I'm part of the, part of the church. Those folks are going to fall away because they're not going to suffer the being ostracized, being labeled, maybe even being litigated for our views and our decisions and the things that God has asked us to be about. And that's like, that, that's serious stuff. But I honestly believe it will become so much more clear so that like previous, in previous centuries where it was obvious, no, no, this is following Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. This is the world. We'll see more clearly and we'll know, I have to leave the world if I'm going to follow Jesus. I don't mean leave the planet, but the system. I have to identify myself now with a different citizenship. I'm a follower of Jesus. You'll never reach the world until you've truly been set free from the world. But then, the last thing that Jesus points to in John 17, and it's so important, we need to go back for those whose hearts long to be free. We need to go back now. Now that we've been set free, we've been saved, we've been filled with His Spirit, we've been forgiven. We are in that. We are following a different King. We are part of a different kingdom. He calls us. He says, "I sent them back into the world because God does love the world." I think sometimes, even in our circles where we want to evangelize and we want to reach people, um, we sometimes think we, we kind of skip that. We have to be set free and, and kind of leave the world part. It's like no, we, we, we'll reach them better if we be like them and then they'll see how cool we are and they'll love our marketing they'll they'll love our mail outs they'll love the, you know what they don't they don't love those things that this may surprise you they don't care about that stuff the only thing that actually draws a hungry heart and that's so important that hungry heart is when they see when they themselves have come to understand i don't want to live like this anymore god created me for something more And they're hungry for that something more. And they see something in you or I. They see the power of God in the life of a believer. They hear of the power of God. And they go, I want some of that. That's how it works. I can't make someone want to be free. See, we go back for those whose hearts long to be free. Only the power of God can break a hard heart. The good news is don't ever underestimate the power of God. Once we are free... Once we've been set free and he's broken that hardness in our heart and he's led us to salvation, he's filled with his his spirit, our hearts will long to see others free as well, just like Harriet Tubman. Just like something in her said, no, I'm free and it's awesome and I want that for others. And so I'm going to risk my life, give my life to the prospect of helping other people experience what I'm experiencing. Another great example of that is St. Patrick. You know, this week we're going to be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. You need to know that that hasn't always just been a celebration of drinking beer. I realize what it has become. But St. Patrick is a really incredible character, individual in church history. He was born in Britain, late 4th century. At age 16, he was captured by some Irish raiders and taken into captivity and turned into a slave. And his faith that had kind of been a very peripheral thing in his life, he wasn't very serious about it, all of a sudden he surrendered his heart to God in the loneliness of slavery, in the loneliness of captivity and servitude, he surrendered his heart fully to Christ and what's interesting is God began to give him, you hear him write about, it, God began to give him a passion and a heart to reach his captors. So much so that God also in a dream told him, you are going to escape and go back to Britain. Six years later, six years after he was captured, he did. This crazy story of how God did that and how he escaped, went back home and he became a priest. And what's interesting, he'd missed some of the prime years of learning, some of the prime years. And so he was always a little bit self conscious about his. He didn't read the Latin and the other languages as well as the other priests. He wasn't as eloquent. But yet he had this passion for Ireland. And he had another dream. It was as though an Irishman was calling him, calling out to him. And so he told the church leaders he wanted to go to Ireland. Now they're thinking he's going to go and there's a few little Christians there in Ireland and he's going to go and just have a little church with those Christians and that's what they do. That's what a priest does. That was never his thought or his intention. They send him back to do something that they never would have signed off on. Patrick of Ireland baptized thousands of people, established, I don't even know how many monasteries and abbeys, So that when he died, Thomas Cahill, historian, tells us that after Patrick's death and generations afterwards, as the mainland of Europe fell into the Dark Ages and much of the religious learning, much of even literature, even the Greek and Roman and classic Western literature was lost that that had been preserved by these little Irish monks in their little Christian enclaves in Ireland. And eventually, as the mainland of Britain entered into the Dark Ages as the Roman Empire kind of crumbled. These monks went and began evangelizing, and they also brought so much of the classic literature and so much of Western civilization with them, all because Patrick had a heart to see Christ brought to his captors, not fellow slaves, but to the people who had captured him. That is the passion for the gospel that God wants us to have. Here's my question. He longed to see his Irish captors set free. Who do you long to see set free? See, we gotta understand, we have, to be, we have to break free from this world. We're still in it, but we're not of it at all. We are of a different king and a different kingdom. But as you now, as Jesus sends you, who do you long to see set free? I have people that I know who are far from God. And there are some whose hearts are hard and they have no interest in him. But there are others Maybe there's something there. And that's where I'm going to focus my heart my prayer. I pray for all anybody. But I look for that, that thing that says, I want something more.
1: That is Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series called The Exodus, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our Contact Us page.